Good morning, Kat. Good morning, Shelley. How are you? I'm pretty good. We've both had a very busy weekend, haven't we? We sure did, but it was so worth it. How good was it? I can't believe it. so everyone knows, so um, this weekend that's just passed, it's it's Monday morning here um, and we just had on the weekend, uh, Carrie Thomas came over and delivered the her dynamic seminar and it was, yeah, it was really cool. And so we thought while it's all fresh in our mind and we're buzzing, uh, we'd give a podcast just to kind of give an overview to everyone about how it went, who was there, what we did, what we yeah. learned and what was yeah. cool about it. <laughs> Okay, so I was thinking we might start with just talking about what the seminar kind of looked like and what we got up to. Yeah, sure. Okay, so it was two days and it was a mix of theory, practical demonstration and also having a go ourselves, <laughs> right? So it started off on um, on Saturday on Saturday morning, we went in to listen to Carrie talk about the backstory because the backstory of how he got to actually interested in studying wild horses and, and all about is just like it's the most fascinating story, but it's kind of important to see the experiences that he had out there in the wild. And about, get some Yeah, and to really get some insight into why he like the whole thing how he got interested in it what changed his perspective of it so and how all kind of the mistakes and learnings and things he learned along the way like um so Kat what was your favorite story in the backstory (laughs) it might not have to do with the the horses but I think the mountain lion story and how he got that scar on his hand is pretty incredible and scary and crazy yeah so yeah Kerry tells a great story about her early on because um, you've got to understand that Kerry spent a long time just out there in the wilderness to study horses for the extended period of time. Kerry spent a lot of time out in the wild, like just out in the wilderness, like tracking horses, right, and watching them for hours and hours and hours. And, and quite, you know, early on he tells a story. He actually got he had a near-death experience with a mountain lion and it's because his mind really wasn't on the job and he was being a bit, you know, nonchalant about what was happening to him. And he had a near-death experience and he was very lucky. <laughs> he was very lucky that he was wearing a very heavy canvas jacket with a roll, with a rolled up hood on his um on the back of his neck, because that's where the cat jumped on in a bed, like sunk its teeth into. So it protected him from getting getting his neck like latched onto. But he tells a story and how how he was so lucky to get that cat off his back and so lucky that the, the big cat kind of decided to run away from him. But how that changed him, that experience, like, really freaked him out. Um, and I love that cat about how he he then said, he's then, like, looking at the horses that were surrounded by not just, not just mountain lions but by bears, and he saw horses get attacked by bears and wolves and coyotes and all these predators and there they'd be, out there, eating away, chilling, and, and, calm and-, and calm as, you know, like, and how the hell, and, <laughs> you know, when he had that experience of actually being a prey, a bit of prey, um, being stalked by a predator, um, that absolutely um, blew his mind and he could see the horses in a completely, absolutely different light and more amazed at how they were able to, like, handle their environment. So, yeah, that was a massive story. Any other take-home stories, Kat? 
there was so much. I to yeah. break it down to one little bit is going to be really hard. I have pages and pages and pages. I know and you do. I'll tell you the, the one other story that he told just to mention about the backstory was how he used to try to watch the whole herd. Yeah. Yeah. And then he couldn't work out. He watched it and watched it and he kind of developed all these theories, but every time he watched it, it didn't, it wasn't, didn't add up, you know, all the time. And then he, he'd start to studying one animal. He'd pick one horse out and he'd study that for hours and hours and hours and hours. Well, about like the bachelors and he followed one bachelor out and then watched it. And when it came back and like protected the herd and all those sorts of things too, I found that really interesting. Yeah, about how we talked about, you know, we have all these kind of fantasies out there about how the horse herds work and stuff like that. And he spelled a lot of theories, like just say dominance theories doesn't happen, you know. (laughs) They all kind of get on. And the roles of them, them, well, the leaders, as he calls them in the group, they're not like they're not necessarily the alpha. They can be the most important, just say mare that kind of, the one that they the rest of the herd really protects, but they have a really essential role. And then what the stallion actually does, yeah. you know, that stallion acts as they just make their way around the herd, kind of being a, a sentry for them, and they just they just wander around. But they they yeah, the stallion goes along and actually has an apprentice cult, which is really interesting. Yeah. So and I think then- this is an important time to mention too that herd dynamics, as the name of the seminar. It's not her dynamics, but like everyone thinks it is. No. Yeah. It's been such a, it's been such a frustration to try to get, as soon as people see her dynamics, then they just start, I go, her dynamics, and they think, oh, I love watching my horses. And they all just assumed it's like, who's the bully in the paddock and who's the boss herd. And, you know, people are so affected by dominance theory. It's not, funny but they you know oh my horse is good friends with this or they're lower they want to know about pecking order pecking order pecking order and it's like it's not about that <laughs> it's deeper I, it's uh, deeper than that I found thing I found was when he talked about the bully the one that's the most bullish out in the herd is generally the most insecure and they're the ones that's going to be attacked more often than anyone yeah. else yeah, so go so yeah, the one that your eyes is more drawn to. So the human eye is really drawn to the busiest one. We get drawn to that. But as he <laughs> says, we are drawn to it with our predator eyes. We look at the one that's making the most noise. Um, and then he said, because he'd visit the herd again and again and again, year after year, those busy ones weren't there the next time. Oh, he it was well, the super still quiet ones. That were always there, but the busy ones, they either got rid of them, they either pu- pushed them out, and mm-hmm. or they, um, yeah, they pushed them out or they weren't there. They were the one that got eaten. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, the insecure one wasn't there next time. So, that bully, that bully is not a strong horse, you know, like that's not a really co- confident horse. That's an insecure animal. And that's probably dealing, of course, when we see it in our domesticated environment, it's, it's suffering some stuff from how it's been learnt and associated in the domesticated environment. Yeah, that was really fascinating. Yeah, so many cool things about that backstory and, um, yeah, just just watching the one horse and being able to be subtle, subtle. It was in the stillness that the power was, not within the the lots of the movement uh, that he saw of being able to piece it all together. Yeah, yeah so many cool stories. So we heard, heard about the backstory and then um, which really got everyone, you got to, 
you know, this man has been studying horses in the wild for and hours and hours and days and weeks and months just studying horses um, and, and the wild herds over a period of time and then introducing the concept of sensory soundness, yeah. the whole idea of how horses knit together in this herd, how they operate, you know, and um, and how they outsource to each other and how they need each other and the importance of each and the role of those ones. He does term them leaders, but what they are is the ones with more ability to be independent, the ones that are able to, as he says, identify potential threat, interpret it, or the environment, just the environment, interpret, identify the environment, interpret it and respond without it becoming a just missing the interpretation bit, just going straight to a, a reaction. Like that whole thing, that whole different levels of abilities within the herd, strengths and weaknesses that balance everybody out. And so it, it works as a functional group. Really fascinating. Kerry said, you know, it's like what he was able to see when he kind of you know, because he, he had me just really enjoyed looking at the wild horses and then starting to work with, um, you know, horses in therapy with, you know, with kids, he started seeing that even though these horses were domesticated horses, they still had this kind of, this, this, this kind of um, template, this kind of evolved template thing of who they were and what they were and these strengths and weaknesses still was in them. You could still see it and it's had massive relevance to how they interacted with people and their environment. Um, yeah, and so that idea of sensory soundness of how horses, they, you know, and how they use their senses and how they are able to just, say, process and interpret stimuli around them and it might be things that are static or things that are moving that was really fascinating. And then, yeah, and then in the afternoon we went in and showed, well, Kerry, how do we see this? How do we learn to see this? And it's deep stuff, you know, like it's layered stuff. And we went through, we had five horses that day, including the famous Roger. Roger was first cat off the rank. <laughs> so we looked I, at him first. It was so good. We had such a really diverse range of horses to look at too. They were. I don't think we had two that were the same. No, we had different breeds. So the five horses we had on the first day were Roger, who's a riding pony stock horse cross. We had George, the Gelderlander, and that's yep. correct, isn't it, Gelderlander, yep. which is a really, um, in Australia, they're a really rare breed. There's only a handful of them, but they're a type of warm blood used in mainly carriage horse in Europe. Um, and they're well known for being very hot and sensitive. Um, then we had Rogan, who's the um, Arab cross. Uh, beautiful um, liver chestnut gelding. Then we had uh, Fiona's two horses, two beautiful quarter horses, uh, Ashley and Gemma. But uh, And Gemma was the only mare. So we had four geldings and one mare. And we went through all of them just doing so. Kerry does some pretty, uh, you know, he's, he's how he, when he tests for either, because as we know, we've talked before, if you haven't known Kerry, Kerry does a lot of work in the racing industry, has really grabbed hold of him because um, finding a horse that is really kind of understanding not just their physical conformation and prowess and athletic ability but also their mental and emotional uh, confirmation the racing industry has discovered is actually quite interesting, okay, and can give an athlete the edge. So he does, he's, he's worked out a number of series of tests to trigger and how you can examine the horse's 
sensory system and how they respond emotionally to, to stimuli and how well they identify, interpret or process and re- how they respond to it. And also basically their emotionality as well. You can kind of find out a little bit about it by doing really subtle things. So when Kerry goes off to um, pick a racehorse for someone when he goes to the yearling sales or whatever, he'll actually see the horses in four different environments down at the stables and then all throughout the day, like he'll do a number of um, tests on them. And, and, like, he does have a range of tests, but what he showed to her, us was, like, the bare basics, like the really simple things that allows you to really pull out some really cool information about a horse. So tell us about what you found out about Roger. So Roger is a IHD horse. Yeah, now tell us what you've learnt that is. So that means that he bounces around in his environment a lot and he needs to outsource in order to interpret. He can't interpret things very well himself. Yeah, so, yeah, so. And then responds. He, he doesn't have the, he misses the interpreting bit. Yeah, he's slow in being able to respond. So first of all, what is that? So um, Kerry classify horses on a spectrum and their horse, most horses are a mix but it's a percentage kind of mix. Yeah. So there is a, a group herd dynamic feature of horses and there's an individual herd dynamic feature of horses. Now what that means, a horse that's a very strong group herd dynamic means that they're able to take in the environment, they're very, they're, they multitask, they take in the whole environment and they're kind of identifying, interpreting and processing the whole environment, Okay. That's kind of one. They're taking it all in. They're taking their environment all in. Okay, so he can't do that. He fo- he focuses singles things at a yeah. time. Yeah, and that's right. But he interprets them very very slowly. Yeah. So he's an individual herd, which means, and then some horses on the other end of the spectrum, they can only like focus on one thing and have to interpret that, and then that thing, and have to look at that. And then that's so they bounce, 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 bounce. They can't just take it all in. No, it's hard. Now, what Kerry pointed out is that some horses will have an element of both. So just say, and, and we'll get to talk about Ashley, who I reckon was a really interesting horse that really is like, it really shows he was the, my, my, I loved his case because he really is, he's a cutting horse. He's cutting horse bred. And his herd dynamic profile is just ideal for that because when to say Ashley is all relaxed, he's like just taking in the whole environment. His group herd dynamics is kicking in. He's like, yeah, can do it all. It's all cool. But when you ask him to go to work and to focus on something, boom, he focuses and all his athleticism just gets driven towards that. So it was yeah. so interesting to see that. But Roger, <laughs> Roger lives in the world of like, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? And then he's slow at processing it. Yeah, so he's a real IHD horse with not much of a group herd dynamic kind of ability to do that. So what did you learn about um, how you work with him? Did you you work out you've been doing the right thing, something you could do different? What did you find out? Um, So I think that we've sort of worked out in the last, like, couple of years, we've gone down the right path. For him, um, so IHD horses, they need the continual routine. So doing, riding him every day and keeping him plodding along is really, really important. And so I've already found that out. 
um, making sure that we focus on one task at a time and don't give him too many things for his brain. Um, and if I change the environment, then that's the only thing that changes. I don't change the environment and then change what I'm asking. Yeah, obviously. yeah you really got to respect that for him, change and new things and new whatever coping. That's like hard work for Roger. That's hard work, but also that he really needs you. Yeah. He needs help from you. Yeah. He needs to focus on you and instead of going, what's that, what's that, which you can't do, he's got to, and, and that's what, why he needs to be worked so constantly and, and to keep him in work because he needs to be um, really um, have a habit. He's got to learn that thing of like, let's, I've got to focus on Kat. She's got to be the same thing. So focus on her instead of like, pinging off everything in the environment and and just being really struggling to to deal with it he just focuses on you and um and 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 regular practice of just focusing on you and things like that and that's why it, it kind of explains why what you've been doing with him has been successful really i think this weekend has given me so much more language and understanding of the things that we might have already found out by accident. Yeah, we'd already discovered it. And it's just like it was when I read Kerry's stuff, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is what I've been seeing. This is this yeah. is why, you know, it's about um, you know, I've been going all about horses' thoughts and, you know, I've been focusing on the thought level, but Kerry takes it to the next level, which is actually no, it's their sense, it's their ability to actually identify, interpret and respond without that being stressful so being able to do it to their mental capabilities and um at a speed that they're able to do it and also nurturing their ability to do that and it's just like okay that's why what I do works you know um but it just as you're right it gives that nomenclature that terminology that language to use that just says it so beautifully yeah yeah very cool Okay, so and then um, so that was day one. Yeah, day two, Sunday. We went back and revised, looking at the sensory soundness map. Mm -hmm. Um, Roger in again to just run through that and refresh everyone as to what we did the day before. Yeah, Um, and that was really cool, and it was really interesting because the tests that Kerry does, the more that you do them, they're teaching them how to use the sensory system better. So the yes. more that helps them, the better that the horse gets. Yeah, so it's interesting. So not only do the a test form part of an assessment, but you can actually use the test as part way to actually, yeah, just to help them. You're clicking into that um, that ability to um, do what Kerry calls as sensory lead changes. So mm-hmm. being able to interpret things, help with their speed of processing, help them go from just, say, the binocular vision to the monocular vision to the area behind, like just subtly getting them to click into that, use that, use that, flick from that, flick from your eyes to your ears, you know, flick from your binocular to your monocular and all that type of thing. So not only are they tests, they're subtle ways and they're subtle ways of being able to like help a horse develop a skill that's so we're so blind to um, just subtle things you can do that that can help a horse out when you realize they are a horse. Yeah. They're not a person and they interpret the world by the the stimulus that's around them of being able to identify it, interpret it, and then respond correctly or at least work out it's no threat. <laughs> yeah, so that was cool. Then what did we do? 
So then we had Anna come in, which was another mare that we had, and we had the opportunity. So each of us got to map her ourselves. So Kerry ran through the tests so that we could all see them, and then we had a map that we got to draw on her sensory lead changes and, um, yeah, all those things around her on her map. Yeah, yeah. and it's quite, it's quite complicated. Every horse kind of gave us a different aspect. So this is not something that you can learn in five seconds, but it, it certainly was a good way to practice and develop those, that kind of eye to be able to see some significant things, which is what Kerry was wanting to give everyone the heads up. He wanted people to walk away from that seminar with some new eyes to be able to yeah. see things in horses. Um, yeah, so that was cool. So we did Anna, who was a beautiful young stock horse. Um, yeah. yeah, she was really delightful. For, so been able to, you know, do the test, get people to have a go at it, um, and then Kerry talk us, talk us through that. That was really cool. And I think it was interesting the difference between what people saw and then what Kerry saw was very different too. Um, yeah, talking about whether she was a GHD horse or an IHD, and then how that presents because she was a very obedient horse. Yeah, but she was still worried. Yeah, she was just obedient. So she was the kind of obedient horse, but not soft. Yeah, especially on the ground. Like, and that's what Lauren, her owner, had really discovered about her. She she bought this horse that was excellent under saddle so she was excellent and quite relaxed and did things under saddle but on the ground she was a bit funny like you just feel she's always that little bit of lag to a little bit of like not like she was to do everything but she was concerned and she kind of highlighted that she was a horse that that had had a lot of people are just focused on riding her but and just handling her a way that she had to be obedient on the ground so developing a little bit more softness so she could do the job when someone was sitting on the back but she had gaps gaps in her on the ground and and that's what Lauren Lauren had already started working on that and it made a massive difference so a really 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 fascinating case to work with then we went back in the classroom and Kerry had about 695 questions from people (laughs) and we we had a bit of a look at um you know applying like sensory soundness and herd dynamics and looking at it within um athletic performance horses you know, and kind of uh, traits and stuff that you were looking for or how to develop it, et cetera. And then we looked at um, uh, equine PTSD, you know, like how trauma affects horses. And that's how I found Kerry was I typed in PTSD in horses <laughs> and I did a bit of research to see what was out there and I came across, you know, this man that wrote very long, complicated essays about stuff. Um, that I think most people would have looked at for five seconds and gone too hard, let's go to TikTok, you know, or or let's go to the five-second thing on social media. But me being the nerd that I am got into them and went like, holy cow, this this man's got a really absolutely important perspective to to have. (laughs) So, yeah, looking at equine trauma, yeah, that was – but from a bloody horse's point of view, not this – rubbish that's out there about taking human human concepts of trauma and anxiety and trying to make it fit over the horse which I'm just finding causes so much so many problems and is so unfair to the horse and making people make some very make them a lot worse it does and actually re-traumatize them because they're not doing they're not um how you'd um help a person (laughs) is not how you help a horse to say what a horse needs 
um, to feel better about what it's what it's going through. So that was a great discussion. Yeah. Then, uh, then we had headed back into the arena, and yeah. Harry had so, set out well, a really simple sensory obstacle course. Yeah. So tell us about that, Kat. Six horses, and we started with them in hand on the ground, just walking over the poles, through the poles, and stopping in a box where he moved some poles around them. Yeah, and that was really, and it was interesting because it was a really just simple but effective use of poles and just tuning everyone in is watch these horses navigate these obstacles. And, you know, how many times have you seen that? And you could see the different horses coming in with a different, we'd already profiled them and stuff like that of how they um, all handle them, that that little bit different and just messing around with repetition and speed and and things like that and and seeing um, and repeating it until the horses were able to navigate that really quite seamlessly. That was really cool. That was cool. Because so Roger, when I rode him over the poles, every time I got to a pole, his front feet touched the pole before he went over it. Yeah, that's so. What he explain why what Kerry said was happening there when he started. So you walked him over in hand and he was okay. It was but when okay. he got on his back, he started missing them. Yeah, so yeah, you weren't there. You Kerry, were in front. You were on his back. So sorry. Tell us what what Kerry explained why he kept hitting the poles. Kerry thought, said that it was because he wasn't able to process them quick enough as we were coming up to them. So without me in front of him, his processing was taking longer. And so this is where the ratios come in and he his body was moving faster than his processing time. Yeah, because that's what yeah. I struggle a lot of, with Roger is his processing isn't fast enough for the speed that his body's going. And so we just kept hitting the poles. Yeah, but he got you to, but after a while, he got better and better. So you just kept yeah. practicing it and going around Roger's kind of, his kind of eyesight and his proprioception started to coordinate and he'd done it enough times that he'd learnt it. Yeah. That he was able to process it better and better. And that that was cool because it highlighted how you can do something so simple with poles yeah. um, to, to trigger them. What was important? What did that mean? Um, and, yeah, the power of repetition and just being slowing it down, you know, not just you know, everyone goes off to trot pole classes. Yeah. <laughs> trot pole classes a bit like, you know, unless they're introduced. I know Katrin from Western Australia who we've interviewed before, she does, she's very careful with introducing poles, but I know lots of people it's just like let's go trot over the poles without, you know, any idea about what's going on or or it explained why, you know, in the past I've had horses that have been, they're okay at walk and trot, but canter, they get a bit funny. Yeah, yeah. And they're not processing it quick enough. Yeah. It's just like when you see it, you can't unsee it. It's just yeah. like, oh, is that what that is? Slowing it down until they get good, getting repetition. So that was really cool. Yeah. So a really cool weekend. Now, so many really cool people rocked up, wasn't there, Cat? It was so exciting. I got to meet so many people that I have talked to, well, a few people that we've done interviews with for the podcast and people that we've told stories about and I've heard so much about and I actually got to finally meet them and people flew literally from all over Australia to be there this weekend and that is just incredible. Yeah, and we had the most awesome time. Like, 
yeah people had such a it was that was really touching actually we all like we all got on like a house on fire it was like a meeting of nerds um that, that absolutely love horses it was so cool but we had everyone from every walk of life there we had horse professionals we had professional riders um we had vets we had equine dentists we had trainers we had the whole gamut we had people that just absolutely adored their horses and wanted to learn more like really really cool and it reminded me as I was I was just telling you before we started the podcast there's a concept called the the tipping point right yeah. and it's how new ideas spread right new ideas or innovations how they spread through the community and there's always the innovators right so Kerry Thomas really is like a really like a real innovator uh, when yeah. it comes to, and he's such a most lovely humble guy with zero ego like so, you know uh, this is so, a man that was just intensely curious about these beautiful animals um but just by accident as he sort of showed how it applied you know just by just by just by accident and then it got bigger and bigger and bigger but still he's just kind of kept to himself he's not someone that's done a lot of social media or you know he's just really been taken by the racing industry and has kind of fallen into that niche and I've kind of pulled him out and was going Kerry your stuff's amazing the world needs to know about these and so the tipping point has you have innovators you have early adopters that will be open to that idea and then you get to this place called the tipping point where the enough mass grows within the people that are the early adopters that then it goes into that's known as the early majority of the general population and then it gets spreads further into that um you know, into that majority and then bang, it's like it 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 goes off. And I really do hope this so Kat, do you hope the world really gets to understand her dynamics and sensory soundness? Absolutely. I think it's that little key point that we've been missing in that language and that understanding for the general population to sort of take that on and under their understand their horsemanship that little bit more. Yeah, it's not this, the, the world's kind of, there's the spectrum of people that ride horses. There's people that, and they don't know they're doing, they're just ignorant, but they're treating the horse like a machine. Yeah. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got these people that are thinking they're like us. Yeah. And they're both not right. They're both not fair, you know, but, and what this stuff does is it pushes the horse, the herd animal, this incredible animal that can um, survive in the wilderness and be relaxed, even though it's a can be picked off by predators, but it's learned to relax. They live in very distinct family groups, and then we kind of take them out and we isolate them. We just have no idea the significance or the impact on that animal. But when you get to see that animal for who it is, everything just makes sense. And this idea, when I started sharing it and talking about it in clinics, it's just had this most profound effect on people. It makes it removes frustration. Yeah that they're not naughty, they're not being difficult. There's a reason for this is because they're a horse, <laughs> right? They're a horse and it makes them instantly, so it improves, takes away frustration and it, and it, and it puts people in an empathetic space, empathy, instead of the sympathetic space that can happen when people misread horses as being people, you yeah. know. Um, it makes you empathetic to the horses, to who the horse is. And it gives them a massive amount of patience with that horse and creativity when it comes to understanding what you've got. Like, look at yourself and Roger. How 
easy could well you would if people saw roger or someone that didn't know like if they see people get a surprise they see you riding around on roger when they know roger's story and they go he's fine he's such a good little horse he's such a great little horse what are you talking about cat <laughs> he's not some kind of spooky devil horse you know and it's just like you don't know how much work has gone into that you know but if someone just went and bought roger and you know, they tried to ride him, they'd get a surprise, wouldn't they? And yeah. They, they would, yeah. Yeah, because he gets real worried about stuff. He's real spooky and he gets worried about stuff that's a kilometre away from the arena <laughs> if it gets his attention. And they'd label him spooky and, you know, painful. But and This weekend and he did not spook. He he looked at like the sides of the arena and a couple of things, but he didn't jump out of his skin once, and I'm so damn proud of him. Yeah, but also, but you know, you know that oh, he's worried about that. I ain't going to stick his nose in it. Come on, Roger, we'll just go off the wall for a bit. Get with me. Get over here. You're with me. Get him with you. Get him in your bubble. Um, yeah, you know how to like help him, and he's so good at doing that that it's just made him so much better at being able to handle his environment. Yeah, but if someone didn't know that, they'd be labeling him everything. You know, Roger would be in a can if he's not careful, you know, because and it's just who he is. Yeah, I was actually talking to his breaker on the way home last night. I gave him a phone call, and he was just like, You did what? You took him to a clinic. 10 hours from home and spent the weekend, took him in an indoor, rode him with a group of other horses and he, he didn't kill you? And I was like, no, he was on his best little behaviour. And if you had told me eight years ago that I'd be able to do that, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, that just goes to show you how you can change a horse when, you, when you're determined to work them out. Yeah, and I think it's sometimes having that time. Not everyone has that time to spend that much time with a single horse, yeah. but it taught me, taught me so, so much along the way. Yeah, yeah, so very cool. Yeah, so that was our Herd Dynamic um, weekend. Uh, the people were amazing. Um, yeah, I think, and and as someone wrote on one of the posts today, it's just like, and it's, it's what I say, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. So I just hope more people learn to see this and I hope that one day we all know about Ray Hunt and Tom Dorrance and Bill Dorrance and, you know, and, and Buck Ranneman and all these people that have given great insights into how to work with horses. I hope one day the name Kerry Thomas, Kerry Thomas, Kerry Thomas gets gets out there as being able to change the way even deeper of how you appreciate these animals and they're not, they're, they're just being themselves. They're honestly themselves and if you understand what they are and how they navigate and operate in the environment, how they use each other, what you have to do to have a partnership with them, because they need help. They outsource to each other. They outsource and network with each other, their weaknesses and their strengths, and we have to replace that. When we isolate the horse, we have to take that position. They don't do it automatically. you got to show them. you got to convince them it's safe. I build that trust. And build that absolute trust because it changes everything. What they're actually relying on you is their innate hardwiring of life and death. You know, yeah. so it's very significant to them, and you got to do it in a in a way, and you can you can do it in a way that is, you know, it's really meaningful and it's cool. And look what you've been able to do, with Roger. <laughs> so yeah, so a really great weekend. Um, I hope you had a. Kerry's had a great time here in Australia. He's keen to come out again. He thinks the country's pretty amazing, and 
and the people are are pretty cool. He keeps thinking, he goes, oh, you know, he changes the odd thing and he's he's really worried about upsetting me. He goes, oh, you're not like, you know, some people in America can be, I couldn't do this. They get really upset about me changing. You're so flexible. Australians are so flexible. <laughs> it's like, well, this one is because I'm very glad he's here. <laughs> oh, yes, we're so lucky to have him and I can't yeah. believe it all sort of happened and it all went seamlessly. Yeah, it went well. We got to hang out actually together instead in, you know, different Boom. states. So that was great too. It's really good to see you. Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. No worries. We'll wrap up the podcast and, um, yeah, get it out there so people can hear how we went. Too easy. Thank you. See you, Kat. Thank you for listening to this episode of Canter Therapy. You can find us on Facebook on Canter Therapy Podcast. And if you'd like to know more about me, Dr. Shelley Appleton, you can find out more about me on my website, Calm, Willing, Confident Horses, dot com dot au i'm on social media facebook dr shelley appleton calm willing confident horses and i'm kat uh you can find me on facebook at friends of park equine services or instagram at friends of park if you would like to leave us a rating where you're listening to this podcast we'd appreciate it and we look forward to hearing from you